With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire podcast. You know the drill, MWCWire.com. That's our website, Twitter, Facebook. Just search Mountain West Wire. You'll find us. We are so close, Matt, to 1,000 likes on, um, or followers, I guess, on Twitter. Can we get to 1,000 followers by this weekend? We're at 951 as of Wednesday evening. Fingers crossed, right? Fingers crossed there. That's Matt Kennerly, Jeremy Moss here. So we got our show tonight, week six. A couple um, sort of serious stuff we're going to talk about. Not as many jokes. Maybe some jokes, because it, it is technically National Taco Day. That's true. Did you, ha- did you have your... Uh, Obligatory taco. Unfortunately not. What if I had a taco salad? Does that count? No. <laughs> no? It does not. It does not. There's a place I go every now and then. I'm like, well, I like their salads because I get that. I've had their tacos. They're okay. I had – can I substitute – can I lie and say I had a lobster taco because I did have that on Saturday? I'll allow it. Have you ever had a lobster taco? Of course I have. Make it sure. It's my first time. I've had fish tacos, shrimp tacos. I was at the Red Lobster and decided to get lobster tacos. And I know this is probably not the best place to get tacos, but I was there and wanted to give it a try. So, don't judge. I'm not. <laughs> I don't know. They're pretty good. It's not bad, but go to your favorite taco joint if you haven't. It can be a belated taco day because tacos are never wrong. You can have tacos every day of the week. That is correct. What's your favorite taco? Is it just carnitas? Carnitas? Um, honestly, I like the, um, yeah, I mean, carnitas is kind of number one. To me, that or shredded beef or something like that. Shredded beef's good. Sometimes a good old ground beef is good if you get the right seasoning with it. Yeah. Just saying. That's easiest to make, I'd say, if you're in a pinch. I would easily put al pastor and adobada <laughs> ahead of both of those things, though. No, I'm, not, I'm just saying, if you get the seasoning right, it's not bad. Yeah. It's not the best, clearly. That's true. Clearly, but if you have the right mixings, it can taste well enough. But uh, did we ever figure out who won the team taco thing in the in the minor league baseball? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Bacon ended up winning that. Uh, can we just make a bacon taco? Yeah, of course you can. Why not? Add carditas, not bacon bits, but get real bacon, but dice it up really small. Come on. Just, just don't do whatever Abomination Taco Bell is trying to do right now. What are, what are they trying to do right now? You haven't heard of the thing where it's like a breakfast taco, but the, the taco shell is like a fried egg or something oh, like I that? Did. That looks weird. I did mention earlier during the summer, I did try the naked chalupa, which is which basically was the uh, fried chicken as a shell. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, so good. They need to bring that back. Honestly, I went to try it just because, hey, why not? That's interesting and it was really really good hmm. so I, ho- I hope they bring it back because i i know taco bell is not the best i go there every now and then because why not i want to give that a try and it surprised me by miles but uh please it, may, maybe they should do it like the mcgrib where it comes back every four months or something not saying it's a mcgrib but kind of a specialty item i'd be okay with that but yeah it's a, if it ever comes back everybody's listening the dozens of you 
go get the naked sloop if it comes back and thank you for joining the mountain west wire taco podcast hey if you listen to the summer we talked food probably every other show right that is yeah yeah, that's actually true it's the off it was the off season we had the chicken tender bracket i did trade canes for once which is really good when i was in vegas that was nice but all right let's get to um let's talk some new mexico football we got kind of the serious stuff a little bit so there's a couple things going on lobo land for the uh, non-football edition i guess as you do know, what was it about a month ago? The university yes. confirmed there's some. Um, they're investigating how Bob Davies been handling some of the uh, players. I guess you want to put it right way the um, player conduct. Is that correct? Meaning there was things like uh, alleged. Of course, nothing's proving yet, so I want to be careful of that wording because you don't want to be that guy where that stuff happens. But basically. Uh, Allegations prompt the Dave investigation where you're having an outside investigator look at like basically misconduct toward the players, including like drug testing procedures being compromised and just mistreatment of players. So, well, today, I guess Wednesday morning, I bet most of the people have seen this because this guy gets gets around for his stuff over at nmfishbowl.com. They kind of, uh, I, would you put it they're probably not the friendliest toward the Lobos? But they are keeping a watch on things that are going on there too. So that's uh, because no, like if you break news, it's never fun to cover bad news essentially or potentially bad news. And they're kind of they're things like oh, we watch the Lobos, see what's going on. So stuff comes out. It's never good when this happens. But this article is really long. We're not going to go through everything because we could probably do like two hours on this. It's a good four thousand plus words. So the gist of it here, here's kind of what we'll talk about a little bit here. Um. Racially insensitive comments towards African American players, like a dumb, like reading the article, like you read it about, like it sort of seems like they're not, not, because I don't know if he's oblivious to some things or just making dumb jokes like people say, but some of them seem like they are mean. Some seem like seem like he's trying to make a joke, and they're usually in poor taste from what we've read. If these are true, yeah, I mean. I, I do a lot of, you know, I, I tutor when I'm not writing for the site. And, you know, I, I do a lot to, you know, help student learners, student writers rather, be aware of their audience, like who they're trying to address whenever they're trying to write something down. So what, in that mode of thinking, it's hard for me to understand what Davey is trying to accomplish when he's making some of the jokes that the article talks about. It's harder for me, I think, to believe that he's trying to be innocuous. You know, maybe he's, I don't know, maybe his sense of humor is like a throwback or something like that. Obviously, I don't know Davey personally. But, I mean, at some point, like, he's been the he's been the head coach in New Mexico for, what, three or four years now? Five or six, I think. Yeah, and, I mean, he was dealing with, you know, black athletes for a long time before that. You know, had, going back to his days at Notre Dame and even before... Long story short, you have to know your audience at some point. Like, you have to know when things aren't appropriate. So, for me, I feel like there's a little more of a hard line to be drawn where, you know, when you read some of the allegations, you know, from one perspective, it's it's easy to see where, you know, you want to come down on the side of the athletes when he's when you're hearing some of the stuff that is allegedly being said to them. 
And then there's also like there's I for, I don't know I'm not gonna find it real quick I don't know if there's there's people on the record here some off the record or background I should say where like there's a guy a player who actually liked Davy but still went out of his way to not cross him down the hallway because something could set him off because I think this accurately describes from stuff we at least if it's accurate again Jekyll and Hyde personality where he could just go off at a given moment. And so it's kind of weird for, like, if you think if you, a guy likes you, like Davey likes this particular player, and you got along, essentially, he still don't want to walk down the hallway to see you? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's not good. Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing where, you know, a personality just might wear out his welcome at some point. It's true. Then there's a couple other things. Like, wh- one thing we do know for sure, like, cameras have seen this, so this isn't alleged or, well, maybe, maybe not, him... A play, I, I don't have it up here again. It's so long, but a player dropped a pass, like a tight end, I think, a, a pass that would have got this team in a field goal range. Was it the Air Force game, I think? It was the, a couple years ago? It was the New Mexico game. Or the New Mexico State no, game, rather. New Mexico State. Dropped the pass, got hit pretty hard, I guess, came off the field all wobbly and stuff, and the team doctor goes over there, like, hey, what's going on? Concussion. Davey basically either pulls the play, like whiplashes the player, essentially, like grabs his jersey or something while the doctor's looking at him and push him to the side and that was all caught on camera during the game it's like what are you doing come on you can't do that type of stuff mm-hmm. like if a guy drops a pass go after him but if the doctor's looking at him and like oh there could be concussion or or any injury it doesn't matter but why would you push the doctor to the side and yank the guy to yell at him like can't you i get it's in the moment and stuff but t- again like you said time and place right mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's a lot of. There's a ton of stuff. Like, the okay. This one's kind of funny, but not really. A guy using the bathroom in the uh, toe uh, dem center. That's kind of funny. But then again, if you drag a guy 20 feet by the collar out of the room, that's not really funny. But getting mad over a guy using the bathroom. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. I mean, I guess what I would add. I don't know. I don't know if we're gonna be moving on after this. But I mean, what I'd add is like a, a caution against rushing to judgment, no matter, you know, which side you're on, whether you're on the side of the team or, you know, the side of this guy doing the investigating, because, you know, as much as I was able to look into it this afternoon, to me, it strikes me as a classic case study in just media literacy in critical thinking. Like, these are the kinds of things I teach to college freshmen. You know, if you if you dig into this guy's work or into this guy's personality like you you'll see in the past that he's been you know he hasn't been shy about being combative with members of the new mexico administration like i remember i think it was like a week or a week and a half ago now where he you know for no apparent reason more or less called out the uh i believe he's the assistant athletic director at new mexico or he's just he you know he's someone of importance within the administration but he basically called him out for you know, something to do with his kids or something like that. And I mean, you know, and he's written other things. Like he wrote this 20,000 word thing <laughs> about a month ago that 20,000. Yeah. And it, it had like 50 sources and stuff like that. I didn't have time to read the whole thing. I just kind of skimmed through it recently, but you know, there were charges that, you know, some of the things he was suggesting were sexist. And that's not the kind of thing that you could just ignore. It's the kind of thing that requires a real careful and critical reading. Obviously, I haven't had time to do that. So I guess what I would recommend is, you know, when you're reading his stuff, I would take it with a grain of salt. 
because you know this guy puts his credibility at risk to me as as yeah, someone who examines it. this when you're when you're on the offensive against certain people against fans who want to be able to defend the program which is you know to me kind of the natural response and you know when you're you know when you are when your work is being claimed as being somewhat sexist and your only move is to dismiss it entirely or to ignore the claim rather than attempt to address it to me those are the kinds of things that I would say you know read it acknowledge it sit with it read it critically and then wait to see what other information comes out whether it's from the administration or you know from the albuquerque journal or whatever you know the story i think is is still developing there are still things that we don't know and it's something that you have to pay real close attention to yeah we'll move on in a second here on something else lobos but a couple of things with him like he wrote a piece a while ago here's where i'm leaning i know you said I was obviously some of the stuff may be true, may not be true. He has a lot of people he's talked to and that's credit to him to find those people to get responses. There's one, a humorous response. We're not really going to get into, but read it and you'll figure out what it is mm-hmm. from a former, former Lobo. But then there's one guy, I, I, there's, I guess there's altercation halftime with a different player where he did. The player himself didn't respond directly, but he's like, if you hear this from other people, it's going to be true. So, Again, like he read the article a couple weeks, I think it's about a month ago, under investigation, had a quote from somebody from university saying, yes, this is the case. So here's why I'm leaning more toward that. This could be more true than not true. Because if he's already under investigation, okay, something's not good's not going on. Whether it's in here where somehow players got a check for money for something or altercations with a doctor or pulling a guy out of the bathroom. I don't know if that's correct, but if there's something already looking into, you know, you understand what I'm saying? Like, there's probably some of this stuff's got to be true, at least in some sense. However, I don't know. It's just it's just a lot of stuff to go through. It's If everything in this is, like, I even said on Twitter, like, if half of this is true, Bob Davey probably could be fired. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a good rule of thumb, I think, that no matter – you know what kind of allegations you're reading it's it's probably a good habit to just approach everything with a grain of salt no matter what you believe but we'll see how things shake and, out and what to last one last thing real quick one of the reasons why i'm kind of inclined to believe some more of this and not that you were bob davy hurt his hand he ended up changing his story officially and unofficially like when he went to work said one thing Months later, oh, let me change my story to something else. So there's that. But then here's where I'm also with you, critical of the guy, because we'll talk super quick about the Air Force halftime versus New Mexico, where he had, what, five players who kind of impromptu national anthem because there was that lightning storm or weather storm. Mm-hmm. So so they had, like, a gates weren't open until, like, 20 minutes before the game. And they normally do national anthem. Players usually are out there, I believe, for college football, if I'm correct. So he did what halftime, and, like, a couple players, not near each other, I guess, just did it. Like in NFL, everything taking a knee to um, whatever they're doing at that moment. And then Bob Davey did a press conference yesterday, and he did a really good job. He let the player speak about it, said he's like he, – he, his main thing was, well, let's – he would rather have like a unified thing, whether what the Dallas Cowboys did or who, whatever, they all do the same thing. Whatever, whether that, whatever that may be, we don't really know. I kind of leaning toward probably then just do what most people do, just hand up, stand up, hand over a heart thing, but I don't know. But here's an article where it's like, with you, it's like, well, maybe this guy does kind of have a little thing against Lobos because he goes on Tuesday. 
Davey appeared at a, Davey appeared at that press conference with players who had kneeled, in which he blamed the resulting controversy on bad athletic department logistics, and cast himself as a crusader for cultural empathy. I I get the log- he said that logistics part. But that's kind of weird to rephrase that way. It's like it's kind of impromptu. It just happened. Because I doubt they, I don't know if they discussed this before the game or ever at all, but probably not the way Bob Davies seemed about it. That just seems like a weird way to put it. You know, you know what I mean about how that went down with those couple of players. Yeah, I mean, I think you know he was trying to show that he was on their side. Maybe he was over explaining a little bit. That yeah. to me was my inclination. Like you yeah. know, he he wasn't quite as eloquent as he wanted to be. Well, caught him off guard, of course. That time, well, not this on Tuesday, but that with the players. <laughs> It's just something, it's like, well, read the articles, and with the Lobos players, if they do that, like, I don't care if you do that, that's fine. The only thing I want to say about those type of things, I had to, I made a, one of our guys, Adrian's doing a bunch of stuff on this and other Lobos stuff. Correct me if I'm wrong, but when people are doing this, I hate it when they write about, they're not protesting the national anthem itself. So if you're writing about that stuff, don't write it that way. They're protesting during that national anthem. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of, of a tweet I saw, I think it was about a week ago now, um, after Mike Leach was asked about Trump's statements. And he more or less said that it's not clear what's being protested. And so Bill, Bill Connolly's tweet was basically, you know, he, racial injustice and police brutality. Racial injustice and police brutality. He basically just copied and pasted it over and over again until he got to 140 characters. <laughs> Oh, he does have 280 yet? Dang it. No, he doesn't. So, it's, so he was just trying to emphasize the point, like, it's not about the military. It's about racial injustice, and it's about police brutality. And it's about bringing focus onto those issues, which one way or another need to be addressed. And, you know, I know earlier today, Lamar Jordan was catching with some grief from... Oh, yeah. That's ridiculous. From, you know, Lobos fans. I think it was from you know, Robert Portnoy, the, the play-by-play announcer, who was talking... I, I think he was transcribing the press conference from yesterday, and someone basically said, like... I'm trying to remember. I, I, I don't have time to look up the tweet right now, but it was basically, um, you know, I don't care what you have to say. You know, you are there to play football on our dime. So, oh, that's who said that. I didn't think that. That's the guy. He's. I thought it was just some random person. It was. It was some rando person. But you know. Oh, I thought you. Oh, oh, sorry. I thought you said that was the New Mexico play-by-play guy saying. No, 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 no. He the the New oh, Mexico gotcha. play-by-play guy was like transcribing. I think what Davy had said, and this guy was like, nobody cares. You're there to play football on the taxpayer dime. I have it right here. If you want want that part. No, I I found it. Oh, okay. All right. And so you know, Lamar Jordan. I give him credit for responding civilly in a way that I might not have but you know it shows me that he and I I would assume you know other athletes on the team are aware of the things that are happening in our society and guess what athletes are people you know journalists are people they're allowed to express opinions anytime they want you know they are free from consequences from the government, whether that means they are free of consequence from the university or from fans is an entirely, you know, that's another story, but he has the right to do and say what he wants when he wants. doesn't matter whether he's a student athlete or not. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And it's like people say, Oh, just here's our sweet. Here's like shut up at six, six, stick to sports is what you're clearly saying. However, the fact people don't care is the reason why athletes are taking any, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's, 
I hate that because it's part of it is it's got blurred so much. It's like, well, what are you going to do about it? You know what I mean? It's like it when it starts involving athletes, it's like if you ever follow Seth, we'll, we'll get to the week six shortly here, but real quick, if you ever follow Seth Davis, he's part of the athletic uh, CBS uh, SI doing basketball stuff. I think the field house is what it's officially called. Mm-hmm. He'll talk about anything politics and he knows that like people he gets to add all the time. That's one thing. If you if still, if you want to do that, that's fine. I don't care. Go for it. But when it starts involving the NFL, New Mexico football team, or Air Force, or anything like that, what we cover, or just a couple weeks ago in NFL, it's going to be an ongoing story. Look at Major League Baseball, the guy from the Oakland A's, the, was a second-year rookie catcher. It's fine. Like, once that comes up, we got to talk about it. Like, it's part of it. It doesn't matter. It's, it's just something you need to discuss. And, like, give again, give Jordan credit for not – some people are going to act, like you said, civilly or not, or name-calling. It's going to happen. But – to dismiss it saying it's all disrespectful, that's not the case. If you're out there on a knee, it's fine. I'm like, I don't care. If you're going to do that, that's perfectly fine. I'd probably not do it. Who is it? LaShawn McCoy's dance or stretching. Maybe not do that, really, because I think that is sort of more dis- disrespectful. He can do his thing if he wants. But if you're taking a knee, what, what's, the, what's the harm? You know what I mean? And if people say, don't do it during that time of day, it's like, when else are you going to do it? When are people going to notice? Well, I mean, they've already proven in the NFL, at least, that kneeling before the anthem doesn't make any difference. Yeah, it's police brutality. Or, 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 wait, or during when they mentioned, I think, uh, is that the same you're talking about? Wasn't it them saying they wanted a, a prayer or something before the game? Wasn't that the same one, right? The Ravens. It's police brutality and it's racial injustice, and we should, yeah, and we should, else. and we should be encouraged by the fact that young people in our country, regardless of whether they're athletes or not, are socially conscious individuals. I think that that's an encouraging sign. You know, no matter what you believe. Yeah, so it's like, just, if you're going to do it, it's like, it's also, here's the thing. If you're going to, it's also like, again, we'll move on a second. If you're going to protest, what's the point of doing it when nobody sees you, right? The point of protest is not to be convenient. The point of protest is yeah. to point to something and get something, to make something happen. Yes. You want attention to, a, like he said, for your particular reason. In this case, again, police brutality and racial injustice. Do it. That's the point. When else are you going to do it? It's like, I, that's fine. If you do it, I don't care. That's what you should be doing. It's point to be attention. Some people say, well, they should walk off the field during the game. No, it's not the time to do it. So, but you ready to move on? Should we get to some fun stuff, I guess? Yeah, let's talk about actual football now. Yeah, game, schedule. Now that, now that I'm appropriately fired up. <laughs> exactly. Because you would be chatting about this stuff every now and then. Yeah. Just follow Matt on Twitter and you'll. Find his love for um, is it David Nunes? Is that Nunes? What's his name? Devin Nunes. Devin Nunes. Yeah, go. F- <laughs> You're not a fan of him, but let's move on. Yeah, let's... We, no, nothing, nothing more to say. There's people I hate too, and um, yeah. Thank you for tuning in. Right, Thank I... you for tuning into the Mountain West Wire political podcast. <laughs> we we stri- we did the, <laughs> we we to- we towed the line. We're good. All right, let's get to some football. Here we go. Um, Friday night. The boy, the BYU section of the schedule is back with us for the rest of the year, I believe, or nearly every week. So, we talked about the Cougars last week. They got blown up by Utah State. They're at home versus Boise State. I'm officially going to be at that game in person, so maybe I'll give uh, BJ Reigns a high five or something. I don't know. Too bad Michael Katz doesn't cover the Broncos anymore because he'd be fun to hang out with. But, do you know the line for this game? Are you surprised of what it is if you've seen it? Uh, last I checked, which I think was on Sunday. Um... Oh, it's changed since Sunday. Okay, so I'm going to say... Boise minus ten and a half. <laughs> Close nine. Nine. Okay, so it has moved up a little bit. 
so here's the thing. Both these teams have a lot of issues. And Well, really quick, hold on. It's ESPN 815 Mountain Time. There we go. But both these teams have a lot of issues. If you watch the Utah State game, uh, BYU is already t- to their backup quarterback, Bo Hodge. He left the game. Coy Detmer Jr. came in and, well, was a complete mess. And Jalen Davis tore everybody up with three picks, two touchdowns. As of this recording, Wednesday night, still no word as starter Tanner Mangum is going to play versus uh, Boise State. He's in a boot because he had an ankle injury Excuse me, a couple weeks ago. And it's been, I'm not, it's, I don't know if he's going to play. I don't know if it matters if he plays or not, but if he, if Tanner Mangan plays versus Boise state, clearly that obviously gives Cougars a better chance to upset the Broncos. Okay. So let's assume that he does play. Does it make any difference at all? Like I just said, no, because I said, if you listen to any of these off season shows or preseason shows, I said this a million times and it stands true. They have a lack of a running game. Their wide receivers can't catch. Their best offensive players are freshman tight end. And they have a pretty good defense. All that has been true this year. And their offensive line isn't very good. And their best center, who's really, really good, had about two two or three poor snaps for Utah State. So I don't know if it would make a, make a difference because BOE scoring, what, nine points a game headed into that Utah State game. They still score only 20. Yeah, I mean, if they're not – they're not good. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, at Bill Connolly's five factors on a football study hall, they don't rank. I mean, they rank in the triple digits in every single one of those five factors. Like, the thing that they're best at is finishing drives by points per trip inside the 40. And even then, they only rank 100th. And those are mostly field goals if you look at, like, the Utah game. So, to me, I'm, I think if they're going to have any chance, they're going to have to get the running game going against Boise State, which I think, you know, for the ups and downs that the Broncos have had so far, I still think that it's easier said than done. You know, and whether it's, you know, Squally Canada getting to kind of, you know, reclaim his starting role or whether he cedes a little more to Ula Tolutau. I'm not. It's Ula. Uh, Ula? It's Ula. Yeah. Yes. No, I mean, it'll be. No, I mean, sorry, it'll be him. I mean, not pronunciation, but he'll be the starter. So then I think one thing that'll be worth watching is whether BYU can hold on to the ball because they haven't been very good in that regard. Do you realize that they're already minus nine on the season? Wow. Well, when you're minus seven or seven takeaways mm-hmm. given up versus Utah State, that does not surprise me all that much. Yeah. So, you know, some of that might be the product of one game, but, you know, Ula's had only 40 carries so far and he has two fumbles. You know, to me, I think if if I'm Kalani Sataki, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to take care of the football first and foremost, no matter who's running the football. You know, even, you know, Austin Confensis, who only has five carries, you know, one of those was a fumble as well. Well, he's one of their emergency quarterbacks, essentially. Yeah, but, uh, you know, apparently on Football Study Hall, he's listed as a running back. But I'm not, I'm not sure his exact position would be BYU. I've heard defensive back as well, but he's a... Uh... He's on, I don't know, whatever. He's not very good. Let's just put it that way. But, you know, more to the point, even when Mangum has, you know, been 100%, he hasn't been very good. At least he hasn't been nearly as good as he was last year. You know, he's thrown four interceptions. He's already taken seven sacks in, in 90 attempts. And, you know, like you said, their leading receiver is a, t- uh, is a freshman tight end, which is not the greatest situation to be in. 
you know, I think Boise's, they're going to be fresh coming off the bye week. And they have playmakers in that defensive backfield that I think are in, in a place where they can have a big-time game, whether that's DeAndre Pierce, who I think has had a really good season so far, or, you know, one of the young safeties like Kakoa Nawahini. Yeah, it, I don't know. Like, a couple things with overall what's going on. It's, like I said, neither team's great. But what do you expect, like, I'm reading a few things. Like, we kind of stick with offense real quick. We'll go to Boise in a minute. But I don't think it matters. Quarterbacks, they all kind of are the same guys back there. So, it's like you said, they control the ball, don't fumble. Like I said, freshman, tight end, all that fun stuff. But is Bo- Boise's defense is rested. Are they going to bounce back? Because for how are we still sure Virginia is really that good or not good? Because they kind of did what they want with the quarterback who's probably just okay. It's really hard to say, but you know I think that if Bo- I think what Boise State's going to want to do is shut down the running game because I think that no matter who's under center, they're probably not going to have an, as easy a time throwing the football against this team as Virginia did. I think what the Cavaliers were able to do really surprised me in a lot of ways, and I think that you know a lot of people may think the Broncos are reeling, but this is their chance to prove that they're back because BYU is a beatable team. They're not a very good team at this point. So I think that, you know, like I said, if they can make the Cougars one-dimensional, if they can, you know, whether it's Mangum or Hodge or, or Coy Detmer, you know, none of those guys are very good at this point. And that should make for, you know, a fairly easy win if everything breaks the way that I anticipate it will. Well, the thing is, BYU is not good at anything on offense. So if you make them one, like, they may not even have to make the one-dimensional. Say BYU goes, they probably want to, depending who's playing, but let's just say they go 50-50 split. They're still not very good at anything to do offensively. Like, they'll be fine. There's there's no reason that BYU should score more than, like, 17 points against its Boise defense, assuming it plays like they did against uh, Washington State. Yeah, the 40-plus points, but that was all overtime and late in the game. Or when they played against, like, Troy, who just upset LSU. If it's closer to that, no, there's nothing BYU can do offensively to move the ball very well. Even if Tanner Mangum starts, he's still not – he's not a very good quarterback. I'm sorry. And, you know, conversely, I think what I want to see from Boise State in this game probably comes down to getting the running game started. You know, we've talked at length about how – you know, Alexander Madison hasn't had quite the season that we hoped he would, that Ryan Wolpin has been you know, fairly quiet with the workload that he's had so far. And, you know, we obviously have questions about whether Robert Mahone is going to, you know, earn more playing time after the bye week. But, you know, whichever of those three guys steps up, I think they're going to be a really crucial part of this game because, you know, for as many issues as BYU has on offense, their defense, I think, is good enough to be able to keep them in this game. And, you know, I'm looking at the fact that, you know, they are the worst teams in the country as far as average starting field position for their defense. Like, on average, opponents have started at almost the 34-yard line against the BYU defense. But they're in the top 40 as far as points per trip allowed inside the 40, or points allowed per trip. You know, on the flip side, Boise hasn't been nearly as good inside, you know, I don't know if you want to call it the maroon zone or whatever. You know, last <laughs> year they were a top 20 team, very nearly a top 15 team. This year they're only 94th. 
And I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that they haven't been quite as good just being able to punch it in, you know. They're, you know, middle of the pack as far as power success rate, which more or less measures how successful you are in short yardage situations. And they've their stuff rate on offense is 118th, which is significantly different from where it was a year ago. Last year, I think they were, I'm trying to look it up real quick, they were, I think I might have passed it. They were in the top 30 last year. So there's a huge drop-off in that regard. So one of those guys, I think, is going to have to seize control of the job. So I was reading what Brian Harson said because they had the mm-hmm. off week. So he mentions, like we said, there's going to be changes, running game, whatever, defense, going to make some plays in their Cozart. He says basically with the off week, we're just going to make some tweaks. What do you think those tweaks are? Because he says it's not a massive overhaul. Like, what's a tweak? Is it going from Mahone getting three carries to nine? Because I think Mahone pro- probably should get a chance to be, at the very least, split carries with Madison. I wonder if it means trying to get the running backs more involved in the in the passing game. You know, giving Brett Rippon maybe a few easier throws than he's been accustomed to in the, in the early going. Because obviously, you know, Cedric Wilson's been great. He's been everything that Boise State fans could ask for in the early going. And Jake Rowe, I think, has, at least to date, had a very nice rebound from what he did again in 2016. But, you know, Madison only has seven catches so far. And I wonder if maybe they'll give him a few more targets over the course of the next few weeks to try to you know, make him into more of a Jeremy McNichols-type pass catcher. Um, you know, whether he actually is that or not, you know, I think it's worth noting that, you know, neither Madison nor Wolpen has been as successful catching passes as McNichols was a year ago. You know, obviously asking a running back to average 13 yards a catch is a lot to ask of anybody. Mm. But, you know, if they can at least approach that element in the same way that they had it in this offense last year, maybe that's kind of the small change that this offense needs to really start clicking. I think what they need to do is, you're right, because McNichols had 37 receptions last year, four touchdowns. I'm thinking, here's what I would do. If I was the, if I was going to make changes, give Mahone more more carries. I think you're right, get him involved in the passing game, whether it's him or Madison or whoever it may be. But also, one thing I did not like to hear, Zach Hill, the OC, is considering bringing in Montel Cozart in addition, on the field at the same time with Brett Rippon. What's their deal with Kozar? Why isn't Brippen the guy 98% of the time? For me, again, I see no reason to pull Rippen out of the game for more than, say, four plays, if that. I just don't like it, and I don't think it's working for them. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see exactly how it looks if they're planning on having, I don't know, multiple quarterbacks on the field. Maybe they want Kozar to run the Wildcat or something like that. I mean, there were QB draws. It's kind of hard to say. Well, they also put in Jake Grow at that same position. The arm bolt of his touchdowns from the playing wildcat. Yeah, and I mean, I think it is worth noting that, you know, you know, Cozart, for one, has only thrown one interception so far this year. You know, he, you know, small sample size, but he does have a better completion rate than than Rippon does. You're referring to that shovel pass pick six, yeah. right? <laughs> and, you know, at least by, you know, the number of carries that he's had, he's been their most successful runner. So I think that those are all things worth keeping in mind when you're considering how they want to utilize him. 
because I think that that's the kind of thing that maybe could be a breakthrough against this BYU defense. It could be. I just, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I just don't. Th- I just think he's getting too many. Okay, if he's in to run the ball, like you say, but I don't think he should be going in. Like, go back to the Troy game where he was coming in every single, like, I mean, not every single, but like a drive every time. Not just in there for a couple plays here and there. He's in there for full drives. And I just think it gets rid of the momentum that any quarterback is going to have. Going back and forth to those guys. That's why I think it's kind of an issue. It's like, why are you doing that? But I don't know. So what's your prediction? Is is Boise State's defense going to bounce back in this game? I think so. I mean, because, you know, like I said at the beginning, this is a beatable opponent, like especially on the offensive side of the football. I don't think it's going to matter who starts at quarterback for BYU. I think that Boise State's going to be motivated to really shut them down, and I think they definitely have the horses to make that happen. So I'm going to say, you know, maybe the offense gets off to a little bit of a sluggish start, but I do think that they'll win comfortably. I'm going to say 28-14, Boise State. You think BYU can score 14 points? Yeah, why not? Garbage time touchdown, maybe. Maybe get a um, handsome Tulioni uh, fumble recovery for I mean, touchdown. They've done it. They've done it twice. Uh, <laughs> they have. Um, I'm <laughs> Portland State only scored fourteen points or twenty points. Um, I'm going to say, I think the offense oh, defense is pretty good. I'm going to go thirty-one ten. All right. Boise State, obviously. I don't think there's any question who we're taking, but I guess we got to make that hundred percent clear, mm-hmm. right? All right. So Saturday afternoon again. Afternoon games. We got conference games. Coming in, so we got CSU versus Utah State. It's on um, AT&T Sportsnet. Uh, I guess check your regional sports listings because there's a chance it might be streaming online, maybe. But Rams are eight-point favorite in Logan, Utah. I like People ask the question, our guy Josh uh, Fredland, uh, who covers CSU for us, asks, like, is Utah State for real? I think we're about to find out. And I agree because, like I said, BYU is not very, not very good. And they just smoked them. And this is going to be, what, their second best team they played so far? Do you think CSU is better than Wake Forest? Hard to say. You know, I think they're right about even with one another. I, you know, Wake obviously blew it last week against Florida State. But they're still going to, you know, cause some headaches in the ACC, I think. But, you know, Colorado State, at least within their conference schedule, is definitely one of the bigger challenges that the Aggies will have to face this year. Let's just say I think also this is the best quarterback they faced all year. Oh yeah, definitely. Even though they played what Austin Horn- Hornibrook from Wisconsin, and I don't even know Wake Forest quarterback anymore. John Wolford. John Wolford. Okay, thank you. But I think Utah. Here's the Utah State. It's like we again. We don't really know who they are. Kind of they. They showed a lot versus BYU, but most of that was defensive stuff, which is still great if you can do that. And here's the matchup we're going to see: like Jalen Davis and Michael Gallup. How's that going to play out? I'm assuming Gallup will probably get the best of Davis, but Davis will get his own in there for PBUs, maybe a pick or so, potentially, with, um, what does he have, at least a three on the year. And Utah State has 16 takeaways on the year. He has seven from one game. But here's the thing. They only had 10 all of last year, and they already have 16 on the year. It's pretty good. So they're doing something, doing yes, doing something better defensively. I want to see, again, like what the running, back, run, running game could do for Aggies with El, El Toro Allen, who... I thought would have gotten more carries, but did not. They still have the one hunt. Kent Myers is going to sling it 30-plus times a game. Here's the thing. Here's where Utah State has it, maybe has an advantage. Because if we watch the Oregon State game, watch the Colorado game, and Alabama, the secondary for Colorado State can be susceptible for 
downfield passing. And if Utah State's going to go three, four, five wide at times, past eight, eight, nine, ten different receivers, I think that's how Utah State's going to maybe get the upset because Rams defense is good at times. Passing defense is not really their overall strength. And so that's where I think the Aggies might be able to uh, get some points that way. I mean, they've been really schizophrenic on offense so far, the Aggies have. Oh, yeah. So I guess what I want to see is, are they going to be able to get those big chunk plays that they were able to get against San Jose State? And, you know, they had a few less of against BYU last week. Obviously, they were able to pull out a win. But, you know, by yards per play on offense, the BYU performance was actually their worst one yet. Like, it was actually worse than the Wake Forest game by yards per play, which I think is really fascinating because, you know, one of the things that stands out to me when I'm looking over the numbers, you know, they've been great as far as, you know, creating really good field position for themselves. Like they rank ninth in the country as far as average starting field position on offense, but they rank 90th in the finishing drives. You know, I've talked a lot about points per trip inside the 40 that to me suggests that they aren't finishing as many drives with six points as you might expect a team with that kind of luck on their side to do. And I think that against a defense like Colorado States, which has been pretty good more often than not, to me, that's the challenge is, are you going to be able to convert in the red zone in a way that you haven't always been able to so far? So what do you think? Are they going to be able to improve upon that in this game then? Ah, it's hard to say. Because the Rams defense, like you said, similar to the Utah State's offense. Like their overall passing yards per game or per play, like yards per attempt, I should say, they are middle of the pack at seven, just over 7.3. They've allowed okay seven touchdowns, but then they have like seven picks. So like they do, and they allow like 62% of the passes allowed, which is third in the conference, mm-hmm. third worst. Or no, excuse me, sorry. Fifth worst, sorry, I'm looking at that wrong. They're just kind of okay, but then they'll make interceptions. Like, okay, they, they're just – maybe I misspoke saying they're not great, but they just seem to be just kind of out there playing. Like, nothing no, nothing special for the secondary. And so what's Utah State going to do to move the ball, to up that yards per play average or make their offense be more consistent? Is it splitting carries, running the ball more? Is it finding – all the right receivers were on Tavian Carver downfield, or is it like what? Where do you think the Rams' defense is susceptible? Is it just the secondary? Because their rush defense is pretty good as well. They're not allowing. They're better there, I think, than the pass defense. Yeah, I mean, I think you know a lot of going to ride. I mean, you know, it may be some kind of cliche, but you know, in the same way that the offense has been schizophrenic so far, a lot of that comes down to how Kent Myers has played. And, you know, in the two big wins that they had, um, and I'm referring mostly to Idaho State and San Jose State again, when they've been able to move the ball, it's largely been because Myers has been, like, on his game. You know, he was a little bit less so against Brigham Young. Um, You know, he completed about 60% of his passes in that game, but he had a pretty, I guess what I would call it, pedestrian 6.5 yards per attempt. And... You know, he's thrown an interception in every game. And I think against a team like Colorado State, you're not going to be able to get away with too many turnovers like that. So, you know, if he can take care of the football and if he can make short completions, like if he can find receivers in space, you know, I think a lot of that is going to come down to someone like Tarver, 
who, you know, if they can get him the ball in space, what is he going to be able to do with it? Or I would also keep an eye on Dax Raymond, who I think is starting to emerge a little bit as a pretty reliable target. You know, as a big tight end who can, you know, make things happen over the middle of the field. You know, he only has 10 catches on the year so far, but maybe that's the element that this offense really needs to, to make everything else work. I don't know. All right, let's get to the Rams side. We've been talking a lot about Utah State here. Okay. Rams are a team that has at least – they've gotten one one vote in the – or one point in the – I think each poll. They're obviously – I think it's a collision course between them and San Diego State for the title game at this point. So one note I should uh, – I think this is very important. We passed on this at the very beginning, Matt. The Colorado State Rams finally got their gear back from Hawaii. Oh, that's good. They were bar- bar- borrowing – Northern Colorado Bears uniforms and and um, not just uniforms but pads and they're using their Ag Day helmets. So I wanted to get that out of the way first of all. They got their gear back. They're good to go. So you can breathe a sigh of relief there, Rams fans. Or I guess Aggies as well. It used to be the Aggies, but I'm thinking like the line, the like the line in this game. It's only eight points, which I guess it's okay. It's on the road in Logan. Weather should be fine. It's not getting that cold here yet, but. I'm sort of inclined to think the Rams are going to blow out the Aggies. I think the Aggies are going to be able to make a game of it. But I think, you know, what Colorado State's going to want to lean on is probably their running game. I think they're definitely going to want to push, you know, their test this, you know, 3-4 defense with Dalen Dawkins and Izzy Matthews. I think Matthews probably had his, was it his longest run of his career last week in Hawaii? Uh, How long was it? Was it a 60-something yarder, I think? Yeah. Uh, one of his top five, I think, at least. Yeah, I mean, I believe I read somewhere that it was, I think it was his longest. But, you know, I think that this this running game is really starting to come around and be kind of the, the attack that we expected it to be. You know, Dawkins and Matthews at this point are averaging over five yards carry. You know, we haven't seen, we didn't see a lot of Rashad body last week. Maybe he reemerges and becomes a factor in this game. I think this is a situation where you probably could take a lot of the pressure off of Nick Stevens because, you know, you got a guy like Gallup who's going up against a guy like Jalen Davis. You know, that's going to be a matchup that probably, you know, I think it's going to end up a draw. I think both of those guys could be able to make plays. But if they can run between the tackles, it's not going to matter. You know, that I think is what could enable the Rams to keep the Aggies at arm's length in this game. Even yeah, I agree with that. Even with the because if you look at kind of the per game basis, their Rams are like the Hawaii game. They average seven yards per carry, same as Abilene Christian. Like overall, yeah, they're about five yards per carry. Versus Colorado was terrible, and Alabama was actually a bit better, just two and a half to three and a half essentially. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing: the Rams don't really need to be amazing at running the ball. It's help helpful obviously, but if you're gonna put in four guys and rotate them in throughout the game, you're just gonna wear down the Aggies. Uh, defense so i'm thinking like this game will be sort of close early on but when i mean blowout i'm thinking like 17 plus Mm -hmm. but i'm thinking that's what it'll be like where the rams will be in control for most of the game utah state will hang around and make it competitive but utah state will won't have enough at the end and the aggie or excuse me the rams will sort of just pull away and win reasonably comfortable like 31 14 or something i think it'll be a little bit closer than that i'm gonna say I'm gonna say 28-20. C- CSU. See, we're we're kind of low in here. Did you see the over under? I did not. Six, Sixty four. Interesting. 
Okay, but Rams are going to get a victory. Next game, Commander-in-Chief Leg 1, Air Force versus Undefeated Navy, who's 4-0. It's on CBS Sports Network, uh, 3.30 Eastern out there in Annapolis. I'm going to say it now. If the Falcons don't win this game, they're not making the bowl game. I mean, I think that's <laughs> that's probably what? fair if you go, what, 1-4. One and, one and four. One and four. Okay, so it's not a stretch. Okay, I still thought that might be a little bit. <laughs> very, very, very bold statement. <laughs> Um, but I mean, I think that, you know, it is fair to say that this is a must win game because, you know, at least in the next month, I don't think they're, I don't think things are going to get that much easier for them. You know, they come home face UNLV next week, you know, at Nevada looks like a, a winnable game, but then you get Colorado State, Army, Wyoming all in a row after that. You know, this is the time to really turn it around, you know, especially for a defense that looked pretty stout against San Diego State and then you know, more or less got taken to the woodshed against New Mexico last Saturday. So what's it going to be then? Because Navy, we know how they play, right? Triple option. We do know how they play. They do the, basically the exact same thing. I'm wondering if the Lobos game will prepare them better, because they kind of mentioned this in our recap, because Air Force defense never goes up against their own offense, because they're always going up against what Utah State's doing, Colorado State, San Diego, obviously Boise, everybody else. So then playing New Mexico last week, might actually be a plus for them going up against a similar scheme this week against Navy. So I'm wondering if that's going to be an edge where they might be able to get the upset that way. Hard to say because you know how we've we've talked a lot about you know how we see Arian Worthman's workload running football, you know, whether that's a good or a bad thing. Have you taken a look at Zach Abe's stat line? What is he? What do you got for me? Okay, so. Not only has he been better, I think, as, as a passer than Worthman has, you know, he's, you know, he's taken a few less sacks. Actually, he's taken a lot less sacks. He's only taken three sacks in 28 pass attempts. You know, he has a three to two touchdown to interception ratio. But more importantly, he's been by and large their most effective runner. You know, he leads the team in carries and yards. You know, he's at 678 yards on the season which if you're looking to compare the two quarterbacks, you know, Worthman only has 317. And on a yards per carry basis, he's basically averaging two yards more per carry than Worthman has in the early going. So I think there's a real concern there that this might be, you know, the kind of athlete that, you know, if New Mexico can tear them apart, like Lamar Jordan had a really good game last week. What's to say that AB couldn't do the exact same thing? I think that's the really big question going into this Saturday. I do as well, and it's we'll just see what happens because Navy's a really good team. They're undefeated. There's a reason why they're undefeated. They're pretty good. I just I want to see Air, Air. It's always a rivalry game, and so you always want to. I guess you got to take that junk into consideration. But I just think Navy's a better team. It's. I think it's pretty simple to say. It's not a stretch by any means, right? I mean, I, I do wonder though, you know, because you you look at the numbers, you look at the whether traditional or advanced, and you see that Navy's defense has been pretty good. You know, in short yarded situations, they've been very successful stopping the run. You know, they've ranked I think in the top fifty as far as stuff rate and things like that. But if you look at their schedule. Like the only team that's really notable for for running the football was their win last week at Tulsa. You know, Florida Atlantic isn't the type of team that you think of 
being really successful running the football. You know, they had to survive Tulane and then had a comfortable win against Cincinnati. So I wonder if this is Air Force's chance to really, you know, push the the interior of the Navy defense in a way that other teams may not have been able to in the early going because, you know, they do have some guys in the front that have, you know, tackles for loss, things like that. You know, DJ Palmore, I think is someone worth watching if you're an Air Force fan. You know, he leads the team with a sack and a half in three and a half tackles for loss. And then Jerry Thompson also has three and a half tackles for loss. You know, the linebackers have been really good, but the defensive line, I think, you know, there may be some question marks there. So I almost wonder, you know, not only if Worthman is going to be a real X factor in this game, but whether you see Parker Wilson start to get a lot of work in between the tackles as well, because if he can be as consistent as he looked against San Diego State, you know, maybe that's what they need to really keep this game competitive. Yeah, got to run that fullback dive, right? That's the exactly what, which was not there when they were playing um, Michigan. Part, okay, it's Michigan. So really quick. So here's why I might I, I might change my tune to leaning toward Air Force. So Navy's beaten Tulsa, one victory, mm-hmm. well, only one victory. They've beaten Cincinnati, only two victories, losing record. Florida Atlantic, one victory or two victories, losing record. They have not. I know. Okay, Air Force has a losing record as well, but every team Navy has beaten has a losing record on the air. Not very good. And again, same thing with Air Force. They don't practice against this triple option or run option attack. And so, not that they're not used to it, they kind of see it every day in practice, sort of. But it's an offense where it's going to cause them issues, just the way their offense causes Air Force or Notre Dame or Tulsa, whoever they're playing, East Carolina, Houston. I, I think you're right. If, I think they need to, like I said before, a couple of things really quick. Navy, their schedule, strength of schedule hasn't been very good, so that's something to consider a little bit. Yet they are 4-0, so they're getting it done. You're right with Parker Wilson. Get him back to fullback dive. And Worthman only had, carried the ball 15 times. If he carries the ball more than 20 times, they're not going to beat Air, not going to beat uh, Navy. So what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. <sighs> Navy 31, Air Force 28. Sorry. <laughs> I think Navy's a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm starting to wonder maybe whether I estimated, or whether I overestimated, rather, you know, Air Force's ability to transition from year to year. You know, I keep thinking, like, if, if New Mexico could be as effective running the football as they were last week, you know, that puts Navy, I think, in a prime position to really do a lot of the same thing. So I do expect Air Force to put up points, but I don't think it's going to be particularly close. I'm going to say 38-20, Navy. All right, then 38-20, man. All right, next game. Your beloved Fresno State Bulldogs travel down the road, or up the road north, I guess, a little bit. San Jose State, who's just awful. Is your um? It's five thirty uh, or four thirty Pacific out there. ESPN three. Um, have you perused the uh, betting line since Sunday? Um, I have not. Last I heard, it was sixteen. How? I'm assuming it's. I'm assuming it's probably gone up a little bit since then. If I'm not mistaken. Half a, po- half a point. So 16, sixteen. Okay. Um, I know we didn't look it up. But I'm just going to casually mention it to you because you probably don't know. When's the last time they've been a double-digit favorite over anybody? That's a Derek really, Car- that's a really good question. I don't Derek, know. Derek Carrier's probably, I'm guessing. 
I guess it depends on how often they put lines up against, you know, FCS teams. Hey, Howard minus, was it plus 42 or something? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they got it done. But still, this Fresno State team, you saw them play last week, and they did pretty well versus Nevada. Would you still say they're just an okay team at best, really? Or do you, how, where do you kind of, like, good, okay, great, awesome? What kind of, like, uh, that sort of grading level would you put them at? The only reason it's hard to it's hard to answer that question definitively is because, you know, the level of competition has been so up and down in the first five weeks that it's hard to know just how real this team is, if that makes sense. You know, obviously we talked at length about Alabama and Washington and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Nevada's defense just did not look good last week. And so um, my initial thought in, in looking at this matchup is, you know, even though we don't really know exactly how effective Fresno State is in running the football, you know, most of their success last week against the Wolfpack came after halftime, after, you know, McMarion had basically thrown it at will against the Nevada secondary. So my first thought is, considering how San Jose State has looked in its first five or six games, what's to keep this offense from doing the exact same thing against the Spartan secondary? You know, what's to stop McMarion from coming out and, you know, from the offense being fairly imbalanced? Like, you know, if they run 30 pass plays and run the ball 10 times and end up with like a 21 to three lead by halftime, is anybody going to be really complaining that we don't know if they can run the football or not? I don't think so. Hey, victories are few and far between for Fresno state the past two years. So, So I think, you know, like I said in the recap show a few days ago, McMarion looked pretty good. And and my guess is that based on what I've seen of the Spartans secondary so far this year, that he's going to look pretty good again. You know, I think the question comes down to, you know, is Josh Love going to be able to keep up? Because we know that he looked really rough in non-conference play. And he did have three interceptions against UNLV a week ago. But, you know, by just by yardage, by being able to move the ball, you know, even though they didn't always cash in, it's hard to argue that he didn't have his most successful game of the season. And, you know, it's going to be tough against a secondary that picked off Ganji, Ty Ganji three times last week. But, you know, if he's up to the job, then this could be the type of game where it's a real back and forth battle in a way that a lot of people wouldn't expect. So who's a better quarterback, Ty Ganji or Josh Love? Um, (laughs) do you have to pick sorry I mean I mean going into the season I would have said Ganji and I think when he's played you know obviously he has his flaws you know but he did play his best game of the year last week so I still think that that's probably the case I still think that Ganji is a little bit better than all right so this um these teams the quarterback play I mentioned um Josh Love he hasn't gotten the end zone until last week finally we won't know much about Fresno State, I don't think, because I think even though they seem to be better, I don't, we don't know how much better, but you can't complain. Again, the competition thing, similar to Utah State when they play Wisconsin, Wake Forest, it's a, it's a win, and that gets Fresno halfway to a bowl game. And it's 16, 16 and a half seems quite a bit because, like you said, Josh Love can move the ball a little bit, I'm thinking, but I don't know, the defense... For San Jose State, it's not good, really. Well, yeah, it's not good at all. Because, look, they put Utah, gave up so many points, Utah State. 
I know you mentioned the running game moments ago, but is this the game where Fresno should get the running game back on track and say, hey, maybe this guy's going to be our running back going forward? Hard to say. I mean, I think that we know Ronnie Rivers is going to be the main guy one way or another. And that, you know, Hokett, Josh Hokett has basically found his niche as kind of a short yardage guy slash, you know, half pack option guy. I, I had the, the fun fact for anybody who didn't see it on Twitter earlier this week. Did you know that Hokett has the highest quarterback rating of anybody in the country with a, with a minimum of two pass attempts? Two? Come on, two pass attempts? That's what I'm saying. Like he has a he has a QB rating of over 700. What's the maximum QB rating? I assume it's infinite. I don't <laughs> I don't know how you would get there, but you know he's two for two with like 80 something yards and two touchdowns. All right then. So is he gonna get a pass or two in this game? They're gonna do a little swing pass or put him in the backfield. I kind of want to see them treat Josh Hokett like Ray Allen. You know, just kind of setting up the corner three every so often. <laughs> there you go. Just set him up. Set him up with a halfback pass. Why not? Yeah, you know? the double pass. But you know, going getting back to my main point, like we know Rivers is the guy, and you know he's shown some talent. Like I think he's going to end up being pretty good in the long run. You know, Jordan Mims, another true freshman, is you know he's been pretty solid. I think you know he's averaging about four point two yards per carry. Um, so he's, I think, kind of a closer. A lot of his production has come in the second halves of games so far. But again, you know, like I said at the beginning, like when you know that you can pass against this team, I don't really see any reason why you wouldn't do that, if that makes sense. It, it does. So what do you think is going to happen in this game? It's at San Jose State. This will be Fresno State's, if they win, second FBS win in about 700 days. <laughs> we could still bring that up, but... I think, or or their second win in seven days. We could just put it that way. Uh, oh, sorry. Third one, I should say. That's what I meant to say. Sorry. Uh, let me ask you this. If they win, how confident are you Are you in the Bulldogs going to a bowl game if they're 3-2 and two after this game? Well, I mean, you take a look at the rest of the schedule. I don't know that there are very many slam dunks left. You know, like we've, we've talked at length about how BYU was a mess. You know, Hawaii's looking a little bit shaky. You know, Wyoming's been a little bit up and down. You know, UNLV obviously has its strengths and weaknesses. I, guess, I mean, it seems cliche to call it a coin flip, but, you know, if things break their way in a game or two, they could get pretty close. That also means Tedford, Tedford gets six figures. Six wins, six figures, Tedford, right? That's true. Your school money or media money you're paying to the school goes to that contract, folks. That's booster money right there. You think it is? It's all booster money, that part? Yeah, I thought, yeah, I think so. I thought Fresno had a highly proportionate um, student fees going to athletics. Did that? Oh, that's 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 totally true. It's very leveraged. Okay, all right. Okay, so it's both, right? We could say that. Yeah. It's the red wave and the gray wave. Is that what we can call it now? Mm-hmm. What's your final score prediction? Because I don't think Fresno is going to – struggle on this one i don't either i'm gonna say you know 41 41 28 it's a lot of points you think you think san jose state can get 28 points 28 points i think it's gonna be a backdoor cover i think it's gonna be like 48 41 21 or something like that and they're gonna get a garbage time touchdown and make a lot of people in vegas mad depends who you are though right it could be make people happy yeah, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I'm going a little bit lower scoring because I think Fresno is going to get to 30, but I don't think I don't know if San Jose State can do that. But I'm, I think it'll be 16 and a half is too much. I assume so. I think it's going to be like 30 to 13. 
Well, maybe that's 17 points. So 30 to 17. Where, because over under 60, that's quite a bit, man. Yeah, but have you seen San Jose State? They give up almost 60 every week. <laughs> Good point, Utah State and Utah. <laughs> they give up a lot of points. Jeez, their best game was against almost South Florida. What did they put up, 45? They put up 42. After that first half where they're losing. All right, so that's our week six. Um, there may or may not be a San Diego State UNLV mentions game because of technical difficulties. Really quick, my score, we'll at least give that right now, Matt, so they have something. I say Aztecs 40, UNLV 10. Yeah, go and blow out. What was your score again? So I'm going to say, I don't know, let's say 28-20. We may do some sort of Facebook Live because I know Aztec fans think we hate their team. I blame technical difficulties because my mic is getting old here apparently. But, yeah, probably not going to get a full-blown preview, but that's what we got for you tonight. So hope you enjoyed the show. Again, check us out, mwcwire.com. Um, subscribe, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, all the anywhere you get a podcast, find us five stars, thumbs up, virtual tacos our way maybe we'd appreciate that somehow, make that happen. But that's our show for tonight, and as we always end the show, yes, we're biased against your team. <laughs>